FM in Calgary, broadcasting on Treaty 7 lands to change up your music. Welcome to Rave Dad's Diary, the show that explores the globalization of electronic dance music from the perspective of a rural Alberta boy turned raver. I'm your host and resident rave dad, Paul Brooks. Rave Dad's Diary broadcasts on CJSW 90.9 FM in Calgary at the University of Calgary campus and community radio station located on Treaty 7 land. I acknowledge the traditional territories of the people of the Treaty 7 region in southern Alberta, which includes the Blackfoot Confederacy, the Siksika, the Pagani, and Kaina First Nations, the Sutina First Nation, and the Stony Nakoda. The city of Calgary is also home to Métis Nation of Alberta, Region 3. Welcome to episode 28 of Rave Dad's Diary. Spoiler alert, this show is usually pre-recorded. I always forget to do this one thing. I want to give a shout-out to my show neighbor on 90.9 FM CJSW, Sammy from Local Singles. Sammy, you program a great show, and I'm really stoked to exist on the FM dial beside you. Okay, I have an important update After episode 30, at the end of the month, I'll be taking a break for the summer. I need the time to focus on work and family. I'm also going to spend some time redeveloping this show. I originally set out to explore the question, with nightclubs and venues shuttered indefinitely, how will dance music and culture survive? Well, whether you're ready for it or not, clubs and raves are coming back. Season 2 of Rave Dad's Diary will explore this post-pandemic rave paradigm. Over the summer, I'll be sharing some RDD deep cuts and featuring a few guest podcasters. I'm going to try and finish off Season 1 with a couple of bangers, though. Stay tuned for that, and I hope you'll join me in September for Season 2 of Rave Dad's Diary. I thought today would be a good day to revisit where it all began. I'll be sharing a portion of episode one of Rave Dad's Diary, where I try to retrace the steps of my first night out clubbing ever. The show will finish with a mix from DJ Titus One from 2006. Let's rave. In 2005, I was 18 years old, and I lived with my parents on an acreage outside the village of Alex in central Alberta, Canada. My very first job out of high school was working in the music department at A&B Sound Electronics Store in the city of Red Deer. Working at A&B Sound felt like working at Empire Records. We had a lot of fun during and after work. I started dating one of my co-workers named Adrian. Adrian was a raver, and her and her best friend Dusty were tapped into Calgary's club scene. 
They took me out dancing and introduced me to a world of fun and freedom I didn't know existed. One of the first tracks I remember losing my mind to was this one. Milo's remix of Freeform 5's No More Conversations. Because Adrian and Dusty sparked my love of electronic dance music and culture, I reached out and we reminisced and brainstormed over Zoom. You had your, like, giant mohawk? Remember? I found out. Oh, my God. You're going to fucking kill me. We talked about Calgary's nightclub scene in 2005, and they tried to help me remember our first night out dancing together, which I think was at Manhattan Nightclub and featured a German DJ and producer named Steve Murano. How often were you two going out in 2005? Five days a week. Six yeah. days a week. Well, no, we, we like slept on Sundays. <laughs> what do you remember about your first night out dancing? Yeah, somebody took me to a club. When I was 17, I had a fake ID. And there was this like underground rave club in Lethbridge. And they like, took me there and snuck me in. And I was like, oh, my God. Oh, God, my first club experience. Um, did I move there? I moved to Calgary in 2003. Um, and I think it was with Jean, because she moved down with me. And um, it was kind of cool, because I came out to her, and she came out to me. Like, she said it was kind of really, like, when I was dancing, it was just like, nobody knew you. Dance away. Like, you pretty much, like, reinventing your identity and leaving that small rural um, dusty behind and everything like that, right? Um, it was definitely, it took a while to get comfortable on the dance floor for sure because, you know, I didn't know how to dance to like all this like crazy music. I'm trying to remember more about our first night out together, which I think was at Manhattan Nightclub. What do you remember about the club? Do you remember the sketchy dance floor in Manhattan? There was like missing oh, was tiles. So. Like tripping all over the place. Totally. <laughs> Dusty, Adrian, and I hadn't spoken in years, but it was amazing to catch up with them. For some reason, our memories of 2005 were a little blurry. But Adrian has tons of photographs from that era. I'm so glad I went through my awkward baby raver phase before Facebook. To see photos of Adrian, Dusty, and little baby raver Paul, follow Rave Dad's diary on Instagram. Well, we couldn't nail down the specific date we first went dancing together, the chat with Adrian and Dusty did remind me of a local DJ called Titus One, who was a resident at Calgary's Manhattan Club and is still active today. Well, as active as any DJ is in 2020. Through Titus One's meticulously detailed website, I learned that he once shared the stage with Steve Murano. Ding, ding! I sent an email to Tito Madrid, a.k.a. Titus One, and he got back to me right away. We connected on Zoom and talked about the days of mini-disc players and penny highball drink specials. I'm trying to piece back together... My first night out dancing, which was in Calgary with <laughs> my, my, my girlfriend at the time, Adrian, and her friend, Dusty. And it was at Manhattan Nightclub. Ooh, those are the other days. 
What do you remember about Manhattan nightclub around 2005? Oh, man. So just like a brief history of like Manhattan. It, so a long time ago, there was a, a collective of guys that, um, kind of, you know, they were looking for places. And then this is in the days when regular club shows are happening on Wednesday, Thursdays. We didn't really get the, the EDM boom that had like the prime pick of the day of the week, right? Um, and, and, and it's understandable. I mean, most venues didn't want to mess with their format. They were, they had, were happy with their numbers on the weekends with their top 40. So it was like, it was really hard to get like a regular thing without a headliner on like, uh, you know, any place really. And there's only a few things that were kind of going on. Um, Manhattan's was one that popped up. It was kind of like a, a failing club. Um, and there's different dynamics that they added in, but just, it was all about the culture of the music every week, every night of the week had its thing. Like one was more like break em- emphasis um like breaks breaks music like just new breaks new school breaks you know just big room breaks big beat all that stuff uh the other one was a little bit more like electro set and then i remember we teamed up with this other guy they'd offer us offered us a thursday and it was really hard because it was um it's a thursday right like no one wants to go out and get wasted or do anything and have to wake up friday and have to wake up early to go to work or whatever right so they gave us like a little more leeway with aglc back in those days um people were allowed to do like cheaper drink specials. So in those days we were, we did like a thing called penny highballs and it was nuts because they kind of played with the structure a bit. So like we would get waves and waves of people coming in like constantly busy throughout the night, but it was um, more of like an open, if you want to call it EDM within those days, more electronic format. We had both guys that were, you know, electro or, you know, hard house or funky breaks or, you know, just all sorts of things. Um, all the nights were pretty strong. Like they were just very, very community driven. Um, it was really just another world, another time. Um, and, and just exposing everyone to just different varieties kind of just opened up, opened up another window, I guess. There's, there, Cause we would get a mix of people that weren't really into like the scene at that time. They were, you know, people that were, were huge into like the warehouse nightclub or the, the after nightlife kind of thing. Um, it would kind of open the, open up the doors to like, at the time I met some of my, some of my closest friends back in the day, they weren't even into electronic music, but they would come because of the penny eyeballs. And then they would realize like, Oh, this is the kind of music. Like this isn't top 40. This is cool. The penny highballs are legendary because, um, when I was talking to Adrian and Dusty, they're like penny highballs. It brought, the, <laughs> it brought the people in. That was like the hook. Yeah. <laughs> do you, do, do you remember playing with Steve Murano? Oh yeah, yeah. Steve Rano was amazing back then. I think it was uh, it was interesting though because like West Coast, he was he had a really big draw. He was like in general like in um, just had a really big emphasis on like a, his own sound. It was kind of like an electro meets kind of like hard house meets kind of like it was a little faster paced, you know, one thirty four, one thirty five kind of BPM on like electro. It was a sped up kind of electro, but it was unique enough that he had a pretty big draw. My first night out dancing. You've helped me. You've helped me figure it out. <laughs> um, I, I, we're gonna share a mix from you. Okay. From this time frame, and I was doing research online, and when I stumbled across your website, it really sped up my research because you have this immaculate website with dozens of mixes available on it, archived. Why is your website so great? Like everything. I mean, even when I started producing and like 
around 2007. Um, the one thing I always believe in is like, I don't know, like most guys will want to change like their names or do whatever. And then they come into certain pinnacle points in their career where they want to, you know, transition to something else. And that's something, you know, kind of leave it to its legacy or let it die kind of thing. But I've always believed that it's, I'm always constantly growing, constantly learning. And it's just been the constant journey, just regardless of what it is. Like I love all genres. I uh, definitely not one of those genre shamer kind of type guys. Like, um, it's weird, right? Like it's, it's funny because sometimes you'll talk to some, some people and they grow up and they, it's like they, it's like they pretend Tiesto didn't exist. And it's like, no man, Tiesto was amazing. <laughs> like, he used to love sparkles and guys like DJ L and like trance and side trance. And I would never like all those sounds just influenced me in so many ways. And they kind of, they're kind of like little milestones that bring you back to those points. And you remember and like, oh yeah, I remember loving that music when I was at that time frame and the people that you meet and the memories that you share. They're just always constantly ingrained and it's just a constant, uh, uh, I don't know, just another piece to your puzzle, right? To just creating who you're, you are or who you're going to be anyways. But no, no way. I never shy from that. It's just uh, really things. And I always wanted to capture that. I, I kept every photo, every video, every everything. And like, even with production-wise, like I always released whatever, even if it was at the time I, I loved it. <laughs> it might have been like, by regular standards, not the greatest produced song or whatever, but it was just part of the journey, right? Like I just wanted to share growth and um, development. It, you know, it sounds change, things change, but some of the root kind of signatures are always the same. The mix we're going to listen to is called The Grind. And <laughs> it's uh, it says this is a solid blend of club electro bass lines and high energy grooves featuring the latest in electro and banging house release date, July 2006. T- tell me what it was like to record a mix like this back in the day. Oh, man, in those days. So back in the days, like I was, a, I was originally a battle DJ for, for a long time. Um, and I was one of those guys that was like very purist. I was very, you know. Um, I know never, never CDs, never digital, never anything is vinyl, vinyl, vinyl. And vinyl was very expensive. And it's funny that it all added up. Like I could have bought probably you know, Lamborghini <laughs> money that I, you want know, people could look at as like a waste, but it was, it was part of the journey, right? Like, I think by the end of the vinyl days, I maybe cashed out at about 2,100 pieces. I actually got rid of all of it to different friends, family. Uh, the only thing I kept it was like the thing that was dear to my heart was uh, 300 pieces of Speed Garage and like UK Speed Garage that you can't find anywhere that those guys are like the purest of purest. Like they, there was even a time where they wouldn't even release things digitally. They just refused to. Like if you wanted the song, you had to buy it on vinyl, <laughs> even up to like maybe up to 2015, 16. Um, but yeah, like um, back in those days, I had a mini displayer, optical line in. I had to, you had to really, really, really be conscious of, uh, your your lines and not having you know redlining or uh, really EQing a little more immaculate because it, it would record on another you know analog kind of output and it would sound terrible <laughs> if you max out all your EQs right um, so yeah you did your two turntables you mixer mixer out to like a little mini displayer and you have to kind of like hit it record and you have a little bit of dead space or whatever and then back in those days we'd kind of try and and even to chop it, um, there wasn't really a lot of really good audio editing programs. There was just, you would run it through something that would burn it as a CD. And then you'd have to recut the CD to break it into pieces because people wanted to listen to tracks individually. Because 
back in those days, people didn't do that. It was just a continuous mix of 60 minutes. <laughs> and some guys, sometimes some guys were like, hey, I really like that song. It's like halfway through, but I just want to listen to that song. <laughs> so it kind of brought up other challenges in the future, but it was interesting. It was, it was good times. I mean, you'd sit there, there was, you know, you, you'd mess up a mix. You would stop the whole thing and you have to start it all over again. <laughs> That perfectionist and everyone would always kick in and kind of it would turn like a, a 60 minute mix into like I don't know, a week-long ordeal sometimes <laughs> For the rest of this hour, we're going to listen to a mix by Titus One, recorded in 2006, called The Grind. Please do yourself a favor and check out Titus One's website, titusone.ca, and explore an archive of DJ mixes spanning nearly two decades. I've also posted an old-school photo of Titus One on the Rave Dad's Diary Instagram. Go check it out, at Rave Dad's Diary.
listening to Rave Dad's Diary on 90.9 FM CJSW and we're in the mix in 2006 with DJ Titus 1. Hang your label on me 
Episode 28 of Rave Dad's Diary is coming to a close. We were just in the mix with DJ Titus One. Rave Dad's Diary is written, produced, and hosted by Paul Brooks. The show is produced on Treaty 7 land at CJSW 90.9 FM in Calgary, Alberta. Season 1 theme music is Orchestral Lab by Guido, released on Punch Drunk Records. The Rave Dad's Diary logo is by Homesick. We'll see you next week. Once again.